right, we are live here with Brother Jeff Anderson. Himself. How you doing, man? Good, dude. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, Jeff Anderson, he <clears throat> is a man of many talents. Um, and Three. <laughs> yeah, he's got three sons. <laughs> yeah, those are my talents. <laughs> those are your talents. That's it. Um, how many? How many kids do you have? I have five. You have five. You have the three boys. Uh-huh. So I have Christian, Connor, Colton, yeah. and then I've got the two girls, Brooklyn and Abby. Okay. Okay. That, that's. I knew there was one girl for sure. I wasn't right. sure about the other one. Yeah. I forget. But awesome. Yeah, Jeff is a guy that I met through spike ball. His all three of his sons play spike ball. Um, to varying varying skill levels and varying levels of commitment, depending on girlfriends and <laughs> and missions right? and ages Absolutely. and school and a lot of things. They're they're young kids. Yeah. Um. They're what eighteen, sixteen, and thirteen. See, <sighs> so you're gonna put me on the spot. Nineteen, seventeen, and then one turns fourteen tomorrow. Okay. okay. Coco turns fourteen tomorrow. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're kind of like. In my mind, you're like the first generation of like spike ball dads, right? <laughs> you know, it's kind absolutely of, it's kind of a cool, unique thing to be in. Like, there's a couple other guys that I've met, you know, traveling to tournaments and stuff that have, you know, been there since like 2014 or 15 or whatever, been traveling with their sons. But since Utah uniquely has a, its very own scene, and there's lots of tournaments here, and you don't have to travel right. to play competitively necessarily. Um, it, it's a cool thing because you know there's a lot of parents that come to a lot of the tournaments, but you're just you've become like a face of the community in a way. Absolutely, and, and it helps. <laughs> it you know it helps that you have three sons that play. Yeah, you know, um, and it helps that you're not a quiet person. No, um, never been accused of that. No, um, but yeah, how how does it, like tell me how. And I don't want to spend the whole freaking podcast talking about Spikeball. Half the people don't even know what Spikeball is. But how has Spikeball kind of affected you and your life and, like, your relationship with your sons? Because, and I, I know you play around for fun sometimes, but it's more like you're there to be a part of the community and support your kids and just have a good time. How has, how like, this new, weird, niche little sport kind of affected things for you well it's 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 been really interesting so i grew up very active very athletic uh basketball rock climbing i mean you name it if it was adrenaline a a lot more of the organized sports yeah um in fact i've got a younger brother that's four years younger than me and a lot of times brothers compete he and i never really competed because i was very skilled at the organized sports the football basketball mm. things with rules and boundaries yeah and he excelled in all the extreme sports okay snow yeah. skiing water skiing you know there was a little bit of blend over and, and i i did all those things too um but it was it was awesome because we would both just feed off of each other and build each other and it wasn't a competition because i always knew if i get on a slopes if i get on on water skis joey's gonna beat me. yeah yeah Give me a basketball and put him across from me. I'm going to beat him. Yeah. And so we would just build each other up. Now I became a dad and I I would see my kids and they would be engaged in all different activities. A lot of them were more the organized sports. 
but Christian loved soccer. Connor loved basketball at the time. Colton was young was young enough that he didn't really know the direction he was going to go yeah. yet. Um, and then, blessed COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. COVID hit. Christian was a, a senior. He was a captain of his soccer team. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I've seen that son utterly devastated. Yeah. I mean, it just, it rocked him to the core. Because their season was canceled. Everything and, gone. Yeah. He, had, he had been groomed when he, he was playing varsity as a freshman, ninth mm-hmm. grade. Yeah. He wasn't even going to the school. Right. He was off at junior high coming, yeah. playing varsity. And that's pretty good because he's a little tight. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's a little bigger now, obviously. No, but, but back he's not then, a, he's not a big brute. No, but but he never backed down from the fight. Yeah. And that's what made him impressive is you'd watch this little ninth grader go out and, I mean, he put his shoulder into anybody. Yeah. And his coach told him, you know, we're grooming this, we're grooming this ninth grade group to launch senior year, win a state championship. That was, that was their whole yeah. goal. And two games in, everything's done. Yeah. And his own self-identity mm-hmm. was so tied into it, it just crumbled him. And, oh, yeah. And it hurt me as a dad watching this. And then there was this really weird backyard game yeah. that you buy at Walmart going on spike mm-hmm. ball. And I had, I, I had seen it a little bit, but I had no idea. And he was going and he was playing Saturdays and Dragon Connor and Dragon Coco. And, and then all of a sudden... These tournaments started co- coming in. Yeah. Now, it, when you ask me how it has affected me, um, I'm a very and you and you know this from our <laughs> encounters. I'm yeah. a very hands-on. I want to be in not just a part of my kids' lives. I want to be in yeah. my kids' lives. Yeah. I don't want to compete with them. I want them to have their own honors. I mean, they can't keep they can't keep up with. But you know what I like about your approach is you do have a big personality. You're very like, you like you said, you're very involved. But I know parents like that where it feels like they're kind of in competition with their kids. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, it's kind of more about them. Mm-hmm. And I've never got that sense about you. Well, and, and I'd love to touch on that because I have a very strong philosophy. Yeah. In, it, it's deliberate. That mm-hmm. is a, it's not just natural. I love the, the spotlight. Sure, sure. I do. Yeah. Um, but I have very deliberate mental approaches to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's especially one of them. That's It's a very calculated, deliberate yeah. approach that I have. Um, and so as I, as I saw this engagement by these three boys that it was now them all together. It mm-hmm. wasn't Christian over here playing high school soccer, Connor playing basketball, Colton down here, maybe kicking some balls around in the backyard. Yeah. It was all three of them that could kind of be on equal footing right. as far as talent and skill level could go. Right. I mean, you've seen Coco can hold his own now with a lot of the guys, right, right. you know, and so it, he gets picked up by, I know he's played with Solomon before. And so, um, I saw this opportunity, first of all, just talking about them, I saw this opportunity for my three boys to engage with something that they could do together, that we could come, we could support, and and it took a lot of the sting away from what, what COVID was doing, especially to Christian. Yeah. Now, that being said, then I saw the community. Mm-hmm. I saw this spike ball community of guys and girls that 
it was almost like the game was second. Yeah. And the reason, the excuse to get together was spike ball, but let's get together. And I mean, I've I've never seen a community like this yeah. where everyone enjoys each other. Yeah. And we build each other up and we cheer each other on. And the the Vegas tournament I just absolutely loved when it was uh Utah versus California. Oh yeah, yeah. And watching all the Utah people just screaming and cheering on. And it happened to be Christian and Zane that were playing in that final match to yeah. see what would happen. And mm-hmm. and I just I remember that was one of the moments that I really fell in love with this community. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, Spikeball has has given my kids some purpose and it's it's healed them in a lot of very painful ways but it's also become this really neat family that i'm grateful for yeah constantly yeah now if you don't mind me shifting to yeah, my but, philosophy yeah, on this um i had a buddy of mine because i am not a shy person anybody that's watching this i am not a shy person right <laughs> if you can't tell yeah um and I had a buddy of mine ask me once, he's like, Jeff, you can, you can go up and talk to anybody. You can, it's like you're never scared to talk to anybody or to address anybody or approach anybody. And, and I've thought about that. And, and really it boils down to this is when you get nervous in an interaction, when you get nervous to approach somebody or to talk to somebody, the reason why is because you want something from them. Yeah. You know, you, you're one of the top, spike ball players in the world uh when the kids got into it they were very intimidated by you right very intimidated by you know stokes and creech and chandler and yeah just preston buys these and, older guys well man it's not not just older guys it's guys that are extremely skilled and successful in this thing i mean almost to a level of celebrity to yeah. them now i show up and i respect all of that. Yeah, yeah. But where they want something from you, they want praise or they want, you know, some recognition or they just want you to watch them play, you know, yeah. that type of thing. I come in, I didn't need anything from anyone. Right, right. The only thing I really wanted from everyone was some friendship. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted to connect with you. You know, I've had these conversations before where success or failure on the spike football field does not change this at all because I wanted to get to know Taylor Church on a, on a personal level. Yeah, yeah. The, the soul and spirit of who you are. Um, and so when I came in and watched this group, it's, that's why I think I don't, like you were saying, I don't overshadow them. I'm not in competition from them because I realized I didn't need I didn't, I wasn't looking for anything. What I was looking for was I was looking for a place to give a little bit more of my love yeah. out to people. Right. And the, the cool thing is there, there can be some reciprocity there because when you're like, quote unquote, like the cool dad, like, oh, there's no quote unquote. I am the cool dad. <laughs> well, I'm speaking, <laughs> speaking generally. Yeah. You are the cool oh, dad. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Quote unquote. Right. By all means. Don't involve other people. But, um. You know, when you're when you're the cool dad, if if you play it the correct way, it helps your kids. You know, for sure, Be, because you know other kids are like, oh yeah, like let's go chill at his house. Like his parents are awesome. Like it just it helps them socially. Yeah. Right. 
Um, but you want, but I want that to be a side effect. I want sure. that to be. I don't want that to be the reason or no, the no, purpose. No, no, no. But it's a and nice I think byproduct. That, yes, but I yeah. think that there are people that go in the cool dad that goes in thinking, um, if I do A, B, and C, my kids will benefit. And yeah. if that's your game, if that's your goal, it's just going to be tough. It, it's going to be tough. Yeah. And 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 the majority of people are going to see through that. Yeah. You know, we as as humans have a very spiritual connection to be able to kind of read intent. Yeah. We can, we can see intent. Yeah. Um, and so if the intent is to come in and really quote unquote, be the cool dad, yeah. but be, be the guy that, you know, is energetic, that's lifting people up, that's cheering people on, that's, you know, bringing waters and Gatorades and some of that stuff to just yeah. help the community go shaking hands, smiling, not being the, I mean, we all remember the, when you're 16, 17, 18 year old and you see the 40, 45 year old guy, there, there's such a generational gap that yeah. there's some intimidation there just yeah. by experience. And I want to close that gap yeah. and say, do you know what? I don't care if you're 16 and I'm 45. Yeah, we can all be homies. Yeah, we yeah. can all be homies. We can we can laugh and I mean, I can be as immature as anybody out sure, there. Sure, yeah. Um, and so that that's what been more my my mentality is how do we get everybody engaged? How do we yeah. get everybody to love each other? And and I, you're right. I mean, it, it there's been a very beneficial yeah side effect. Yeah. Well, that's that. that's one thing I've loved about it is, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s, and I'm hanging out with a lot of like high school kids, and I'm hanging out with a lot of guys in their young 20s, and then I'm kind of chummy with some of their parents, and mm -hmm. then some of the older. You know, there's some guys in their 40s that play pretty consistently. And it's just a cool, it's a cool hodgepodge where, like, I wouldn't, like, in what other scenario am I, like, meeting high school boys, mm -hmm. you know, and becoming any sort of figure in their life? Right. You know, beside, besides a job, you know, maybe a teacher or a coach or something. But, um, but even then, there's, like, some, some tighter parameters on your yeah. relationship, you know? Where, whereas like well, and there's some responsibility there. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, you know, not not just your age, but also you know your status within the community, your status within the game. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you you do you you have some responsibility. I have some responsibility, and some of that's some of that's a little bit different. Yeah, you know, I've developed a reputation within this community that I am kind of one of the or the dads dad of Spikeball. Yeah. You know, so if these kids come up, they they know I'm a safe place. Yeah. They know, you know, if they don't have water, if they don't have Gatorade, if they don't have snacks, if they don't have... Jeff's a safe place. Yeah. Now, that's a responsibility that now I have, and I'm... I love it. Yeah. You have a, a similar, but a little bit different responsibility where... And you can... I can take that responsibility, or I can shove it aside and say, look, I didn't ask for this. I don't want this. Yeah. You have the same thing where, you know, there there are a lot of people that look up to you and they want they want church to watch their game. They want yeah. they want to engage. They want to feel like, hey, I can can I go up to this guy that's ranked thirtieth in the world and I don't know him at all. Can I go up and ask him a question about my serve? Yeah. You know, and I think there are some guys that are gonna be like, Do I don't have time for that? Right, right. But you've always engaged with these guys. You've always engaged with my boys and I've I've watched it. I've I've been aware of it and yeah. I've, I mean, I'm, I'm one of your biggest fans for that. Right. 
you know, not only because I'm impressed with you as a man, but also as a father watching those encounters with my son, yeah, my sons, and then extending that out, knowing that not only does he do this, obviously, with my three boys, but he does this with the community. Right. And it is, you're right, there is a, there is a line that has to be walked yeah. tighter for you than for Coco. Sure, sure. Right? Um, but yeah, but for me, it's cool because like, you know, a lot of times after pickup or tournaments, I'll go out to dinner with a lot of these guys right. or whatever. And it's just, it's a cool opportunity to be like, to kind of bridge that gap and be like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that I'm like, whatever, I I have more spike ball experience, whatever, or that I'm 10, 15 years older than you. Like, we all are coming from the same place. Right. So that's that's been cool for me. Do you remember... Do you remember the first time we met? I'm trying to think. I feel like it was the high school championships, that night tournament. It was. In Sandy, I think. Uh-huh. It was. Was that it? I mean, we, we probably... I, I probably saw you. We probably saw each other and, you know, maybe shook hands or said yeah. whatever. But that was the first time that we had, like, a, a face-to-face encounter. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I heard your name i'd heard your name more than obviously you'd heard my name (laughs) because of the 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 uh, environment that we were in but you know you were to my kids somewhat of a celebrity um and so being there and i as a dad as somebody that's older that's lived longer that's encountered all forms of celebrity and all forms of fame and what's what makes someone tick and and knowing I didn't need anything, I wasn't looking for something from you. Yeah, yeah. Other than getting to know this person yeah. that I hear about. And because of that, it was a very genuine, I remember it was a very genuine interaction. Yeah. And afterwards, even my kids were like, Dad, you were talking to me for so long. I'm like, yeah, he wouldn't He wouldn't stop talking to me. You know, I was yeah. chatting my hair off. Oh, Dad, come on. <laughs> like, you know, but, but it's the it was the human interaction and that's where that was probably the first time too that i looked at it and went you know there's more than a great athlete here yeah there's well thank you there's a good person that i look forward to increasing this relationship and yeah and giving more to this relationship yeah and and for me it's this it's this constant battle um and i'm sure other people in other arenas struggle with this but i i want to be that person that people feel like is very approachable is someone they can always talk to, they can go to with their problems, be it spikeball related or personal. I want to be that person, but I'm also, especially during tournaments, I'm very dialed in and I'm very serious in a lot of moments. Right? As you should be, though. Right, right. And I think they respect that. Yeah, they, you yeah. Know. it's just the the community is so um, jovial. Right. Um, in, and in a lot of ways, that's a, it's a great thing. But it's not like you're going to... Like a like a big tennis tournament, it's way more convivial, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I just know that at times I people feel intimidated because they see me like really intense, and and I'm not I'm not talking and joking around in matches like a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just my competitive personality style. But um, but yeah, I just that's something that's often on my mind. I want to be and. Outside of spike ball too, I always want to be a person that people feel like, right? I don't know this guy super well, but like, I kind of want to ask him this thing, or I want to like pick his brain or something. Like, I don't want to be the last thing I want to be is unapproachable. Right. You know. Right. No, I I do. I 
I do think the environment. Um, I do think the environment of how the at least the Utah tournaments are set up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I hear your approach. Um, I think the tournaments, the way that Utah Roundnet sets up these tournaments, there is a little um, laid back atmosphere. Yeah, and with that comes. The people that are are not dialed into a certain match are not dialed into the tournament and the the outcome of the games and the outcome of the tournaments are going to just as a byproduct going to react the way that the tournament is being run. You know, you mention a a tennis tournament or a golf. I mean, take a golf tournament. If yeah. you go to a professional golf tournament, I mean, you can't even talk on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're controlling the environment of the tournament. Yeah. There isn't a lot of that within the Utah round net. And right. so it's just laissez-faire. Yeah, totally. And so then when you're out in your match, I think it's, I mean, I, I personally think it's completely appropriate that this is your match. This is your tournament. You've got your goals. You've got what you want to accomplish during your zero to 21. Yeah. So I'm going to take it the way I am. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's on everyone else to say, respect that. I mean... It, you know how you want to run that is I'm 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 your fan. I'm going to cheer yeah, you on. Yeah. You you hear me all the time, and yeah. it, and I've noticed. I mean, there's some people that I will cheer on. Chandler's a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll cheer on Chandler, and he yeah. will he will interact with me. Yeah, yeah. Through the whole entire thing, because I think he thrives a bit on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Caleb was a lot that way. Yeah. You know, I'll do the same thing with you, and and I'll get some. Yeah. But I but keep in mind, I'm not asking for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I you can go right. the whole 21 points, and I'm not going to walk away and go, "Golly, I cheered on the whole time." <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. never. No, it's me. It's my gift to you. Sure. You know, I think what people, and I'm I'll say it so you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people interpret it mm-hmm. as well, church doesn't even need me. He doesn't need me to cheer him on. He doesn't need, you know, like Chandler might need that because there's that interaction. Yeah. And I look at it and I think, well, no, he does. He's just dialed in. He's zoned in. But, you know, every everybody wants that, that group, sure, sure. you know, that's going to, you know, cheer me on too. Yeah. I may not interact because I'm, I'm focused in. Yeah. You know, when I, there are certain things that I do that, man, when I'm in there, it's a totally different ball game. Like, yeah. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to interact. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to be focused. Yeah. Does that mean I don't want some of that interaction, some of that, right. that attention? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. You want it, even if you don't really, because there are times where like people said they were saying stuff to me and I'm like, dude, I didn't hear you. Yeah. Like, I really am in a zone, but but it means a lot that I that it's happening, even if I'm not, right. you know, hearing well, the, it. The picture. I always go yeah, to yeah. the picture, <laughs> yeah. you know, where I set my chair down right in the right in the circle. And yeah, he came yeah. up and you and I pointed at each other and yeah. laughed. And then I went and I, I took my chair back. But a lot of people talk about that. My kids talk about that all the time. Man. And one of the things that's talked about is, man, you get you get interaction at a church that nobody else does. <laughs> yeah. And I, but it's not just our relationship that does that. Yeah. It's also because I'm obnoxious. <laughs> I'm louder than most people, so you probably do hear me where you don't hear somebody else. That encounter, I'm in the game. Like <laughs> yeah. I move my yeah, yeah. everybody's gonna interact at some point right. with that, you right. know. And I I think that, you know, if, if there are people that I don't I just can't imagine, especially in this community, that there are really people that are upset by that, by you know, what well, yeah. church doesn't interact. And if they are just 
Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I'm just. I'm just saying. I, I try to be conscious of not coming across in a negative way. No, I think you. I think you know. you're. I think you do a good job. But um, anyway, don't want to talk the whole time. No, about, no, no, no. About Spike Ball. Throw but, it at um, me. You were. Um, I. Uh, how how old are you? You're forty. Twenty four ish. Twenty four ish plus. If you put ish, you can be any age you want. Okay, twenty four ish plus. So I'm forty five. I'll be forty six in June. Okay. This was a subject I wanted to ask you about because I've started to notice it way more in the last 10 or 15 years. But, um, and actually I was reading this article about it, but I want to um, ask your opinion first. Do you feel like time has just gone by way faster as you've gotten older? Like more so since you got married or since you started having kids or just post-college or the last five years, do you feel like there's been a point where things have been exponentially like, wow, my life is flying by? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I don't know why that is. I've, I've actually, it, I've noticed it so much that mm-hmm. I've thought a lot yeah. of it. Um, you know, part of my thinking is when you're 10 years old, a day, a week, a month, a year is a much greater percentage of your life sure. than it is once you're 45, yeah, you know. Yeah. So all this time shortens yeah. just based on how long you've already gone. Right. Um, I also think, and I've thought a lot about this particular thing, and um, I think it can hit anywhere from 30 to 50, is when you're young, when you're 10, 15, even 20 years old, life is in front of you. Yeah. When you think of life, everything right now is preparation for, preparation for. Yeah. So so time and life is is going ahead. You have all these like benchmarks you want to hit. Yeah, but they're all life. they're yeah. all in your future. Yeah. When you're 70, 80, 90, life is now behind you. Right. All those benchmarks you talked about, all the things that you wanted to to do or that you did mm-hmm. are behind you. You get this sweet point. Some people call it maybe even a midlife crisis. Yeah. And, I, and I've thought about that term and I've thought, you know, I don't know that I totally buy into midlife crisis. I believe, believe much more in, in a um, midlife awakening. Yeah. Is now I have that past... To well, see, well, that's can, where that's where people diverge, right? Yeah, you can have a crisis or you can have an awakening, right? You know, right? Yeah, it's do you have the awareness? And I think that there are a lot of people that have midlife crises because they stay where they are. Yeah, you know, their crisis is I've done A, B, C, D, E, this line that has led me to right here, and now I have the fork. I can keep going this way, or I can take that painful left-hand turn, change my life, have that awakening, mm-hmm. pursue whatever it may be, but it's just way too hard. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep going in this same line, yeah. and I'm just going to stay in the crisis. Yeah. Do you feel like you've had that awakening already, or you were like in the middle of it, or do you feel like it's still a little bit ahead of you? Oh, no. I've... I feel like I have. I feel like it hit me probably a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I am still right in the thick of it. Um, I feel like I have the awakening. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know where I want to go. Yeah. I-, I can see the fork in the road, mm-hmm. and I can see if I continue to do certain behaviors, if I continue to make certain choices, or just 
let life exist, yeah. I know the path that I will go down. Mm-hmm. If I have the courage and I see this path and it's scary, mm-hmm. you know, I always go to uh, kind of that's the, the, what is it? The Garth Brooks song um, where he talks about life is not tried. It's merely survived. If you're standing outside the fire, I think that there, I, I have a vision that I, I tell myself quite often of, you know, imagine you've got this ring of fire and you're standing in the middle of it um, and you're safe. You're okay. The fire is around you. But the consequence of that fire is smoke. It's heat. And if, as long as I crouch down and I get low enough, I can get some air. Yeah. And the smoke's not too bad. But that fire's not going anywhere. Yeah. Now, on the other side of the fire is your oasis. Right. Your beautiful field, your water, your mountains, whatever... You know, imagine some imagery that you absolutely love and it's outside there and all it's going to take you is walking through the fire. Right, right. And this this has kind of hit me so much of so many of us are, it's just good enough mm-hmm. for me to stay crouched down here, yeah. getting this oxygen down here because I don't want to walk through. I don't want to get burned. Yeah. I don't want that pain yeah. of walking through. Now... Then you see what, you know, fill in the blank here. You see your Jeff Bezos, you see your Elon Musk, if, if money's your thing, or yeah. you see, you know, the person that's got a, a podcast, YouTube, where they're traveling the entire world. And you see these guys and they're all over there. They're in that, that oasis. Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to be like that person. You yeah. go, okay, we'll walk through the fire. Right. Well, no, I, I don't want to walk through the fire. Well, they all walked through the fire. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm just going to stay here yeah. down under the smoke. So by all means, I have seen the awakening. I have seen these things. Everybody's going to have a different... So what causes it for for you? It's sort of... I feel like it's like almost like an existential dread or something. Like like you've you've got to a point in your life where not that something terrible happened, but you're just like, if I continue down this path, not that this path leads to disaster or catastrophe, but it is... A lot of, a lot of, uh, I don't know, boredom or or mediocrity that you're not okay with because you're like, if I keep going down this path, I'm not going to do anything different, and the rest of my life is just going to be what I'm currently doing, plus thirty years, plus forty yeah. years. Yeah, you know. So, um, I'm going to put a little plug in here. You know, you and I've talked about this, and. Um, I'm starting my own podcast. I'm starting my own. One of my awakenings is to help people step outside that fire, yeah. make that left-hand choice. Um, you know, it's going to be, there the, are two aspects of it. One is unleashing your warrior. We all have that person inside of us, that person that's willing to fight. That, yeah. that you know, when, when uh, society, when we're growing up and we're being trained, we're being conditioned to fit inside the norm one of the things we all heard when we'd get upset, when we'd get angry, is we'd hear people say something like, control your emotions or control your anger. Yeah. And what society was telling us, what parents, what people were actually telling us, the message that was being said was, don't have anger. Don't have emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's what got conditioned into us. And so we just pushed it away. Yeah. And we, when you really think about that phrase, control your anger, control your emotions, anger's fine. Emotions are great. Do they control you or are you controlling them? 
You know, you look at some of the most successful people in the world, whether it's sports, business, theater, whatever it is, all of them, when they talk about their past, unless it was given to them, Mm -hmm. but for those that are self-made, there was anger, there was emotion, there was drive, and they they, they didn't push it away. They didn't drown it out. They channeled it and they went forward and they controlled it. So to answer your question, and for don't forgive me, I'm just going to say it, but we'll bring God into this sure. just a little bit. And I've thought about this a lot. And I will put the caveat in here, and I'll talk both ways, whether you believe in God or not. Sure. So let's say you do believe in God. And then for those that are also listening, if you don't believe in God, then the... the course of thought would be evolution. Sure. So let's go with both of those simultaneously. You are here on this earth because either A, God placed you here. So this infinitely powerful being that has all power, all knowledge, all presence has chosen and has placed you here intentionally, has chosen you here intentionally. Now, flip side, for for those that think the other way, Millions of years of evolution has taken place to lead to place you here right now. Right. Now, I'm not one that believes, I do not believe in fate or destiny. Right. I'll just put that out there, right? I believe, well, let me say it this way. I believe there is fate and destiny. Mm-hmm. Your fate, your destiny is an outcome of choices you make. Sure. So if you are destined to be a multimillionaire, you will make those choices. If you are 85 years old and you have the path you were talking about, the path that doesn't lead to danger or pain or what, you know, it's just normal. Mm -hmm. And when you're 80 and you say, well, that must've been my destiny. Yeah. yeah. It was because of the choices you make. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, you could say, (laughs) you could say we all have millions of little destinies, right? Right. And they, they change with every decision. Exactly. Precisely. So to go to this, if you believe God placed you here, or if you believe evolution placed mm-hmm. you here. Either way, it's miraculous. Either way, it's miraculous. Yeah. And either way, you have one shot. Right. We have one life. Yeah. That's it. No one else has claim on Taylor Church's life. Yeah. No one else has claim on Jeff Anderson's life. Yeah. It is your life. And I think this has been part of the awakening that I've received is we... We place on ourselves obligations from society. But you imagine, imagine for a minute that I have you up on a stage and there's a thousand people and I call Taylor Church up on this stage and I've got all these handcuffs. And I ask you about, you know, you you have a dream and let's say your dream is to be the number one spike ball player in the world. And I say to you, you know, maybe it's mom, dad, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse, whoever it is. And I say, they tell you you can't do it. And I hand you a pair of handcuffs and I say, put them on. Mm-hmm. You know, put them on your feet. So you buckle them on your feet. And then I say, okay, well, you know, the next person comes along and it's your boss and he's going to have you work extra shifts and whatever and that's going to cut into your practice time. Here's another pair of handcuffs. Put them on. Put them on your knees. And we go through this exercise. And when it's done, you've got 15 different handcuffs on you. And now get up and play spike ball. Yeah. You know, how successful are you going to be? And then the question comes in, well, who put the handcuffs on? Right. You put them on. 
I handed them to you. Sure. But ultimately, they're self-imposed. But they're self-imposed. You've yeah. allowed this outside influence mm-hmm. to affect you to change the course of your life. And really, it's just as it was your power to put them on you. Yeah. It's your power to take them off. Right. You can decide who's going to have effect. Now, I do think for the vast majority of people, this message goes out to them knowing none of them are going to pick a bad path. You know, when I talk about these things, and I, I'm not going to go out and sell my kids. Yeah, yeah. It's just not in me. Right. It's not in me. It's not who my nature is. And I, I hear this with people when I talk about business and finances and success, and they say, well, yeah, but I won't ever work harder than, you know, so that I sacrifice my family. And my question to you is, was well, that in you? Yeah. Is that is that part of who you are? Could you do that? Right. Well, no, I could never do that. Then don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if right. you can't do it, if it's, I would never do that. I would never sacrifice my children for money. Right. So that's no longer a problem. That's yeah. an excuse yeah. to not, to not take that scary path. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the socially acceptable excuse. Well, I didn't become successful because I love my kids. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, that's weak. Yeah. You know, that was, that was an excuse. So my whole ph- philosophy, just going back to it is whether you believe that it's God, whether you believe it's evolution you're here, you have one chance at 40, 35, 30, whatever it is for me, a few years back, mm-hmm. I started realizing, okay, my preparatory days are kind of wrapped up. Yeah. You know, now I'm at the show. I'm at the show. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like practice is over. Yeah. So am I going to continue down this easy path because it's comfortable, because it's easy? Or am I going to stand up in this ring of fire and run through the... Now, you don't want to walk through that ring of fire. Right. If you want to get to that oasis, don't stand up and, and slowly walk through that right. fire. Yeah. It will consume you. Yeah. You, you want to be over there. You make that decision. You take that deep breath. You stand up and you run. Yeah. And go for it. Don't look back. Don't get halfway through that fire and then say, whoa, I think I'm going to go back in there. Yeah. Make that decision. And I think I think nowadays it's an incredible time to be in your forties or your fifties and be like, you know what, I still have dreams, I still have huge aspirations. Just because with technology and, and the internet and the proliferation of knowledge, like you can you still have plenty of time to like accomplish so much. And I think, you know, even one, two generations ago, not that your life was over at forty or fifty, but you pretty much had to kind of stay in your job and, mm-hmm. and do what you had to do to put food on the table. And I just think there's so many options now. Yeah. Even if you want to be like, okay, I got I got some money saved up so I can afford to like quit my corporate job or whatever while I pursue this dream. But you can still like go drive Uber. Oh, for sure. And, or, or flip stuff online and, and, you know, feel like you're not in trouble. Right. (laughs) You know, so it's just, it's a cool time where I think there are less excuses available. Yeah. Well, I, I have a successful construction company that Mm -hmm. I own that is, provides everything I need and more. Yeah. God did not put me, evolution did not create me to climb ladders. Yeah. And so it right now is a, it's a means to get me through the fire. Yeah. But it is a matter of making that decision. And so I know I know why I'm here. Right. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's just so, but I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just 
turn off the keys to the truck. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to to do that, but with the deliberate choice to do that. Now, going to to your point, I I love that you bring this up, and you know, I'll I'll probably make some people mad with this, but you know, I have a very strong opinion about college, university, mm-hmm. education. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not opposed to college and university. Yeah. I'm not. But you look back 50, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, you look back 20 years ago, the purpose of, of the university was because that's where knowledge was. Yeah. That is where you went to get the information, yeah. to be taught it, pass your tests, whatever, get your piece of paper that says you now have access inside of your mind to all of these things that fill inside of this piece of paper. Yeah. You can now pick up your university. People walk around with a PhD in their hand all day long. Right, right. You know, access to information and knowledge has never been more accessible. Yeah. Ever. Now, again, for those that are going to university, that's great. Go after it. For those that feel like this might not be for me, that I want to pursue something else, pursue knowledge. Sure. Pursue education. Pursue gaining the talents and skills that you need for whatever the reason is that God or evolution put you here. But do it fully, and it doesn't need to be... We You don't need to go somewhere to gain knowledge and education anymore. Right. And you think about the most successful people, you know, your whoever it may be, Joe Rogan's or the Paul brothers or, you know, these people that are just making grundles of money. And this is this is a thought that I've always had is there all of us fit into two categories simultaneously. But which category are you doing more of? One is the category of consumption and one is the category of provide that you are giving something. Yeah that you are providing a, a entertainment or whatever it yeah, may production be. Production versus consumption. Pro, thank yeah. you. Production versus consumption. If you are not successful in your life, and by successful I don't mean just financially, whatever, yeah. however you term success. If you're not successful, chances are, if you analyze your life, you're way heavy on the consumption yeah. side. Yeah. You know, the Logan Paul and Jake Paul are putting out much more content than they are ever consuming. And so if you're... you just don't have time to do both. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? You're either consuming or producing. Yeah. Right? Very, very few... I mean, I can think of nothing off the top of my head where they're simultaneously together. So if you want to be successful, you have to figure out a way that you're consuming less and producing more. Right. In any aspect. And that's harder than ever because there's such amazing content out right. there, you know? Right. I, I told somebody the other day, I was like, it's hard because I love I love art, right? I love making art. But I, because I love making art, naturally, I love consuming art, right? right? And so I love podcasts. I love movies. I love TV shows. I love books. I love YouTube channels. I love web series. I love, you know, all these things. And so it's it's a balancing act where I'm like, there's so much good that comes from a level of consumption, right? Um, because it, it motivates you, it gets you ideas, it gets your creative wheels spinning, but also, you know, there's there's a point where you're just you're being less productive. 
Yeah, yeah, but there can be a bridge between oh, the two. Totally. The, the bridge that you're discussing that I think is spot on is if you're consuming, you know, I, I Stephen King wrote a book uh, on writing, the memoirs on, on writing. Yeah, I've read that. A fantastic yeah. book. And one of the things he said is if you are not reading, you cannot write. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to learn your craft. Right. And so if you're consuming, you know, the the YouTube, the art, the the podcasts, the the travel vlogs, whatever it is, and you're consuming them merely to sit back on your couch and eat some popcorn for entertainment purposes, that's where if the consumption is probably not going to lead to success. Yeah. If you're consuming that because I want to see what the lighting is like in this, I want to see how they're presenting the music in their podcast, I want to pre- see how this author is writing their prose, that's a consumption that is a bridge of knowledge yeah. to lead to production. Right. That That's a healthy... Yeah. But then again, are you just consuming 90% of the time and producing yeah, 10%? Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of people do, do that as an excuse. They're doing all prep work right. all the time. Right. right? They're, they're like, like I went, to, I went to lunch with this girl this one time. She wanted to pick my brain about writing. And she's like, she's like yeah, I just... I probably won't start it for a couple of years, but I wanted to do all this and do this and this and this. And I was like, sounds like you should just start, you know, <laughs> and like your life is what's prepping you, Yeah. you know, and, and you might, the thing is, and writing such a specific thing, because you could, you could start right now or start in 10 years and you still might just be a bad writer. Like right. it's not for everybody. Um, but no matter what you're pursuing, there's only a, a certain amount of prep that is gonna that you need before you can start. Right. You know, like you need X amount of training or whatever if you're gonna like start doing like coding or something. You got to learn the language. Right. But you don't say, okay, I'm not gonna apply for jobs until I'm a master of coding. Right. You know, until I'm better than everyone and I know it inside and out. You got to learn the basics. You got to get to a certain point, but then you got to just jump off the bridge and, and mm-hmm. hope you grow wings. You know? Oh yeah. Well, and even your masters in coding. Yeah. They've been coding. Right. You know, it may not be going out to the public. It may not be going live on a website. But even in their courses, they were coding. Yeah. You know, and and really, point in case you uh, with your art, with your writing, with your poetry, with these things. You know, if, if you look at the people that are, let give you a couple of examples of extremely successful writers. So you're Stephen King, you're J.K. Rowling, you're, you know, Stephanie Meyer comes to mind, Nicholas Sparks, um, David Baldacci, some of the, these tremendously successful writers. If you cut away everything and you go back all the way to the beginning, all the way to the, the, the first, you know, J.K. Rowling talks about how she was writing on napkins on the subway yeah. in, in England when she was writing Harry Potter. Um, Stephen King was in a laundromat, you know, sitting in the corner writing his book. Every single one of them, and I know we say, well, it's so easy to say that now that they're tremendously successful. Sure. But I will say, if you went back in time to that very beginning and you sat them down and you said, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Their answer would not be, to make a billion dollars. <laughs> right, right. Their answer would be, because I love it. Yeah. Because I have a story to yeah. tell. Because I have to. I have to. Yeah. I, 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 now, is it going to be published into a million copies? What if it's not? What yeah. if it's only published to my son? Yeah. But he has my story. Yeah. 
you know, and so if you if you love something enough, you know, you talked to you, you said a minute ago, um, there's so much good content out there. And I know that intimidates a lot of people. Well, it should intimidate you if your only goal is to become Jake and Logan Paul. Right, right. It probably, I mean, they, 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 they're the masters of coding right now and you're at the very beginning stage. Yeah. And so I can see that that may be what holds you back mm-hmm. because, man, if I'm not them, I'm, I'm unsuccessful. Right. Now, the flip side is I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love doing it. Then do it. Yeah. Then do it, and those small incremental steps, you'll get to the point where you're a master, and then maybe one day you'll look to your left and you'll go, I caught up. Yeah. And I, I think I think if you're doing something you love and you're, like we talked about, you're putting out a lot of stuff constantly every day, you're going to get to one of two points. You're either going to get to the point where you're like, maybe I'm not that passionate about it. Maybe right. I just, this, I romanticized it and... I actually have this different thing I want to do, which is totally fine. And a lot of people get to that point. Or you just fall in love with it and it just becomes what you do. And because you do it so much, success is just inevitable. And the level of success, you know, that's almost out of your control. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that like, you know, there's certain aspects that you just got to kind of hit the lottery Right. Right. You, you know, there, there's there's luck that, that's involved, but it's, um, you know, it's it's the Matthew principle, you know, to, to those that um, have been given much will be given more. And those mm-hmm. that have nothing, everything will be taken from them. You know, it's the same thing. You put out a lot of stuff like your luck's going to increase. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to know more people. You're going to get more eyes on it. And and it's frustrating in the beginning. Like right now, you know, I'm putting my stuff on YouTube and for whatever reason, like I just have not cracked the code with YouTube. Like I get a lot of downloads on my podcast. I get a lot of interaction and views on my Instagram and all this stuff, but I'm, you know, I'm getting like 20 views on YouTube or whatever, but I'm just, I'm just like, you know what that is. And and the other thing is I'm not like spending hours and hours on YouTube. I'm filming stuff. I'm throwing it up. right? Right. But I'm like, you know what? These twenty views, they're gonna they're gonna add up slowly and slowly and slowly, and I'm gonna start getting two hundred views, you know, and then I'm gonna start getting a thousand views, and you know there are people that are getting ten thousand views right now, and they're like, oh, I just can't get my YouTube to grow, but you know if you just keep keep working on it, and I don't want to harp just on like social media stuff, but you know whatever you're doing, you know it just it just it's crazy how it will just grow if you keep working on it. Yeah, I think the key to that is working on it. Yeah. You know, when we were talking back about consumption, you know, um, if you're getting if you're getting 20, 40, 100 views, and what can I do to crack this code? What can I do to crack this code? Well, one of the things you can do is you can go and you can consume, mm-hmm. and you can say who has a like product, who has a like video, you know, and watch theirs, and don't watch it for the entertainment purpose. Yeah. Watch it for, like I said earlier, watch it for lighting. Watch it for, you know, we're, we're going on this trip to the Dominican Republic here in a couple weeks. Um, I served my mission there. Christian just got called there. It's yeah. absolutely insane. My little brother got called there. He and I served in the exact same mission, yeah. Santo Domingo West. And now Christian's going to Santiago. We had this trip planned mm-hmm. back in November, and he got his call in January. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, it's crazy. this is just nuts. Um, I lost my trip. Oh, the, the consumption is... I was, I'm on YouTube and I'm, I'm trying to find some videos of what it's like in rural Dominican Republic. So Christian mm-hmm. can see this. What's it like? 
out at some of these beaches that are really rural that mm-hmm. you don't normally go to. But I went there when I was on my mission, and they're the most gorgeous beaches you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. You can't find them. And if you do, they are the worst yeah. videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Christian's just going nuts watching this stuff. Because he likes the professionally done. And so then I asked him, I'm like, well, what's the difference? He's like, well, Dad, you got to have some music, and it's got to be like this, and it's got to be 10-second clips, and it's got to go boom, 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 boom. And here's a kid that's consumed now for entertainment purposes, but at some point he started to analyze the difference between these two and saying, this one's garbage and has four views. This one's incredible and has 10,000 views. This is the difference between the two. And that's where that consumption's really good. Right. So if you do want to be tremendously successful at something, don't just analyze them. Analyze yourself and right. be like, okay, what what are the things that I can tweak here yeah. and, and change up and give it a shot. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. If 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 you start getting that trickle up, you're like, okay, we're on the right path. Right. You know, what more can we do here? Yeah. I wanted to circle back when we were talking about kind of this midlife crisis and and feeling like time just moves by exponentially quicker. Um, so like I said, I, I actually read this article today about this, just kind of the psychological phenomenon of time feeling like it's moving quicker mm-hmm. as you age. And I think there's definitely an aspect of, like you said, okay, when I'm five, a year is 20% of my whole life. <laughs> you know, right. that's a lot. Um, whereas you get older and you're like, what's a freaking year? It's one percent of my life right you know but the other thing this guy said was it was really interesting he said when you're a kid when you're a young person everything that happens to you is so novel you have new experiences every single day and so what happens is those those new experiences equate to shorter days you know you think about when you're like on vacation and you're jam-packed doing a million things right? You're going to this new beach and you're going to this like, this like spa and you're this new restaurant and you get home, you're exhausted, you're at the hotel and you're like, that day went by like that. Right. It's crazy. But so those days seem shorter, but then when you've been home for six months, you look back on it and those days seem longer because you have more memories. Mm -hmm. But when you're just like going to work every day, you go work out, you hang with your kids, you have dinner, you go to bed and nothing new is happening, nothing novel is happening, those memories don't really stick with you. Right. You, of course, have memories and things stick out, but he said, this psychologist said, the thing that that makes time seem like it's longer is novelty. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. And he's like, so really the way to make this time slow down, because I think sometimes people feel like, dude, I feel like my life is like, moving too fast. Like I want it to slow down because I feel like I'm going to blink and I'm going to be 10 years older is to engage in new things, in Mm -hmm. novel experiences. And there's so many awesome ways to do that. You know, I think traveling is a big way to do it. You know, you experience new cultures. um, You just see new things. And and for me, I, I started doing this thing. I don't know if you're good at this, but I've always been terrible at like, having a planner or an agenda, but I want, I want to be more organized and more driven in, in those ways. But, um, one of the things I do is I, I make a list of at the, at the end of the day, I want to have written down 
a few things I did that day that I've never done before. Even if they're tiny, trivial things like I went to this new restaurant or I, I, I called this friend that I've never called. We just usually text. Like just tiny little novel things that I've never done before. I try every day to include those in my little, my little planner. Um, and it's really made a big difference for me because, and I don't know if it's like my creative nature or what, but I really have a hard time when I feel like I haven't had a very novel experience in a while. That's why I like love traveling for spike ball. Like I feel like, dude, I haven't gone anywhere interesting in a month. Like I got to get out of here. <laughs> right. And, um, and that's why like, I love going to new restaurants. I'm like, yeah, the food might suck, but like, I've never been here. This is cool. Like there's new waiters. There's a new, there's a new menu. There's a soda I haven't tried. There's all these new things. And to me that helps kind of keep me alive and keep me happy. And, um, I don't know. I just thought it was this cool phenomenon that he kind of put a reason to why it happens and gave kind of a solution to how you can kind of slow it down mm-hmm. naturally. Well, and, and I think anticipation plays a hard, uh, oh, a yeah. heavy part into that. You know, you imagine again, going back when you were a kid, you imagine you wake up one morning and you find out it's, let's say it's 10 o'clock in the morning. You find out at four o'clock, you've got a dental appointment. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want that dental appointment to yeah, come. It's terrible. And it is amazing how fast time moves. Right, right. When you're not looking forward, like, I don't want that to come, mm-hmm. it's there. Yeah. Right? Now, same morning, you wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning, kids, you know, parents come in and they tell you at 4 o'clock, we're going to the airport, we're going to Disneyland. Yeah. You're like, what? Yeah, time's crawling now. Time <laughs> is now crawling. And I yeah. think that's what part of it is when you get 40, 45 you don't want that death to come. When you were 10, 15, 20 years old, you had your whole life ahead of you and death wasn't even a possibility. You yeah. were the one person that was going to live forever. Yeah. You know, and so then time is just creeping by because you've got all the time in the world. When you hit 40, 45, you realize all these dreams have been left undone. You can still do them. Yeah. But... Death is not, you know, I'm now 45 and chances are half, at least half of my life is over. Right. You know, and it's like, okay, well, what have I not done? Because that dental appointment is coming real fast now. Yeah. And time is just going to move so much quicker because I don't want that. So then how do you, how do you interrupt that? Just what you were saying. You, you put in between you and death, those novel experiences. Mm-hmm. Those waking up and I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah. Um, and there's some things that we can do every day that can feed to that. When I was on my mission, I went two years with no hot water. Right. It was cold waters, bucket showers. Yeah. Sometimes it was two scoops of water is all you got in a, mm-hmm. in a pitcher. Yeah. You know, I was telling Kristen how you how you bathe yourself out of two pitchers. Now I love warm showers. Sure. I mean, I'll take an hour long warm shower just about every day. It drives my kids crazy. <laughs> yeah. I love them. Yeah. But if you want that novel experience, here's just a s- silly little thing you can do is mm-hmm. next time you go to take a shower, turn it on cold first. Yeah. Get in into the, I mean, get in there. Mm-hmm. One, it'll wake you up. Right. But two, when you take, you get in there and you take a step back and then you turn on the warm water, that warm water will be really novel. Yeah. It will tingle your flesh. It will, it will give you that, oh, I love this feeling. And you have this. You'll, you'll have a shower like you've, you haven't had before yeah. because you've inserted 
a very novel experience yeah. into it. It's kind of like um, it's like when you work out. Like a lot of times you work out, and it's pretty horrible. Like <laughs> every time I work out, it's right? Horrible. You're but when you're done, you're like, ah, like I love it. I'm done. I'm I'm glad that I worked out. Yeah. And it's kind of like um, I can't remember what writer said this, but he said he's like I. I hate writing, but I love having written, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily feel that way, but there's a lot of things in life that the actual process of is a little arduous and it's a little painful, but when you're done, it's so rewarding. Right. You know? Right. Um, let me ask you kind of a weird question, but I, it came to my mind. I was thinking you have three sons, all kind of, you know, all teenagers, basically. Um, how have you approached like, especially in these days, like talking about like sex and pornography with, with three young boys. I just let them go to the internet. You just let them figure Like, out. Hey, there's a lot of stuff out there. You're going to find all you need. <laughs> um, that's an interesting question. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer that going a lot deeper into it than just that. Sure. Um, I have very, 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 strong opinions on parenting. Yeah. Very, the way I parent, it's not happenstance. It is not accidental. It is not see how this day goes Mm -hmm. and it will happen. Sure. Um, It is very deliberate. Some of it... Is your your wife the same way? Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes more naturally to her. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I... I, I, You're a little more strategic. Very strategic. Very strategic. Um, and what it boils down to is, and I, forgive me, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent and then I'll, I'll, we'll circle back to like the yeah. sex and pornography and, and some of this stuff. But, um, I have a, a very deliberate approach to parenting in that. And this is going to, this is just going to piss some people off. Good. Yeah. I, <laughs> right. Yeah. I do not, and I'm going to say this emphatically, mm-hmm. I do not believe a parent's role is ever to punish or discipline their child. Okay. There you go, guys. There you go. It's out there. Podcast over. Podcast over. Okay. Piss some people off. You hear all the time, well, these kids would have been disciplined. Now, a parent's role is not to punish or discipline. Mm -hmm. A parent's role, a father's role, my job as a parent is to provide for them, Mm -hmm. is to love them, is to protect them, and it is to teach them. That's it. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Provide. Boom. Done. We all get that. Yeah. Love. Now everybody's got a, a, a different way to do that. But mm-hmm. I think we can pretty much agree. Love them intensely. Yeah. Love them intensely. Now protect them. Protect them from whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, my... You... Spike ball tournament. Christian still gets mad at me about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at a spike ball tournament. Um, Christian and Zane, they're both in high school. They're playing. You can tell the game's getting heated. They're playing against a couple of 25-year-olds, whatever. It, it's intense. Christian and Zane end up winning. Yeah. And as they win, they turn and they start walking towards me. Because that's just where all their gear was. It was didn't have anything to do with me. But they're walking towards me. And Zane chirps something over his shoulder. The guy chirps something back. Zane chirps something back. 
The guy turns, walks towards Zane and Christian, and says, hey, come here. And I am out of my seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That quick. Yeah. And I, you know, and I've got a, you've heard my, I mean, I've got a loud voice, but yeah. when, I'm, when I have a loud, stern voice, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And I just boomed at this guy to stop, turn around, and walk away. Yeah. Because I will protect right. my child. Yeah. Now, and this goes a little bit back to the community. Uh-huh. I don't have five kids, man. I've got <laughs> three hundred kids. <laughs> right, right. You know, once you once you become family to me, right. Like, I'm the alpha bull in the in the field that somebody's gonna have to come through me to get to. You. Yeah, you're you know? pa- you're Papa Bear. Oh, I'm totally Papa Bear. So that's <laughs> you know, protect can go into so many different things. Yeah. And then you've got the teach. Now that is where the nuance comes of what people would term the di- discipline or punish. Mm-hmm. But if you go into it with the theory of uh, discipline your child, you have now drawn a line on the sand and you're standing on one side and they're standing on the other. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to discipline you. I am going to create pain in your life. Whether And I mean, I am, you just, you don't ever touch a kid right. to me. Sure. There's no spankings. Like I'm, that's a lazy man's tool. Right. That, that satisfies no one but the person giving it. Yeah. You know, I had an argument with a guy once. Oh, I, I, spanking's great. And I was spanked and I turned out okay. And I said, no, you didn't. Um, (laughs) But I, but I challenged him and I would challenge anybody that thinks they're okay. And that's what I said to him. I said, the next time your kid does something wrong that you 100% think that kid needs a spanking, tell him to go to his room. Mm -hmm. He goes to his room. You take your 20, 30 minutes. Leave, go to the store, whatever. Process it. Process what this kid did wrong, what needs to be corrected, what needs to be taught. How are they going to receive it the best? What is going to benefit them? It's not about you. It's not about me as the dad. Yeah. Parenting is not about me. Right. It's about this kid. What do they need to be taught? And after 30 minutes, if you come home and you say, you know what? Hell, I've thought this over, and the only per- the only way this kid could ever learn how to correct correct this behavior is for me to physically accost him. Right, right. I guarantee you, ninety nine point nine percent of the people are going to say no. Yeah. So then you back that up, and you're like, well, then why are you spanking him in the first place? Yeah. Because it's reactionary. Yeah. Because it satisfies my anger. It satisfies my need. Yeah. Not the kids. Right. So parenting is very difficult if you take a very deliberate approach. Right. You know, um, oh, they'd kill me if I talked about them. But all of my kids have done something. I've done something, but all of my kids have done something. Yeah. Where, you know, a quick smack, I don't know, maybe it might correct that behavior. Yeah. I lose trust. I lose, there, there's, there are two people in a husband and wife family. There are two people in the entire world of 7 billion people. Mm -hmm. There are two people that every child should be able to fully, fully trust. Right. There's only two. Yeah. And the minute you cross those lines, you've betrayed that trust. Right. And I will will do everything I can, everything I can to not betray that trust. Because the trust of a child, and by child, it can be 40 and I can be 70. Sure, yeah. But the trust of a child... It's hard to get back. Yeah, and it's the most valuable thing you'll ever have in your whole entire life. Yeah. It is absolutely magical. So going to the that that discipline, if you're going to... If you're going to take away the cell phone, if you're going to take away the keys of the car, and you're doing it to punish or discipline, 
you've drawn the line in the sand, you've placed yourself on one side and you've placed them on the other, and it's fight time. Right. And trust is going to be, they may have betrayed your trust. Guess what? You're the parent. They're allowed to betray your trust right. all the time. Sure. You don't get to betray their trust, right. ever. Right. So, you've drawn that line in the sand. What I want to do is I want to draw that line in the sand. I want to put the negative behavior, the negative actions on one side of the sand, and I want my child and myself standing on the other. And to say, that over there, we're not going there. Yeah. Now, we talk, we communicate, they keep re- it keeps reoccurring, keeps happening, keeps yeah. happening. There's so much communication that has to come into play that then the question is, do I sit my child down and say, look, you know, I know that behavior on the other side of the sand is not okay. We keep going down there. We need, we need better reminders. We need better reminders. We need something that will cling, that will keep us from that line in the sand. My suggestion to you, Colton, is give me your phone for a week. Now, I'm not going to take it from him. Yeah. But I'm going we're going to we're going to be on the same side and we'll and I've got I mean I I've, I've had these conversations where one of my kids says, "Yeah, it's not good. I I need this item taken from me." Yeah. For a while. Then I will keep it. Right. In safekeeping. Sure. I will hold it for you. You can trust me. Yeah. You know, and it's on them. And then that way, too, three, four days into it, and I mean, this isn't a sentence by a judge. Right, right. You know, it could be three. We want the outcome. We want the behavior fixed. And we want to maintain that trust. So it might be three or four days into it, and you see this miraculous change. And they're going, and you're talking, and they're saying, well, all my friends are going and hanging out, but I don't have a way to communicate with them. And no, do you feel like you can have your phone back? Well, I know we said seven days. Do you feel you need the full seven days? Yeah. Well, no. Are we going to do that again? No. I don't care. Here's your phone. Right. Now, I think a lot of people say, well, you're caving. No, I'm not. I'm communicating. Right, right. This is a team effort. Because the point isn't to be a tyrant. No. No. It's not to punish or discipline yeah. or or show that I'm in charge. Yeah. I guarantee you, you ask every single one of my kids, Christian, Connor, Colton, listening, <laughs> if you ask them who's in charge, yeah. they'll tell you I'm in charge. Yeah. They know, but it's because they trust me. Right. And they know I will not violate that trust. Yeah. And so I can be in charge. Yeah. Because I'll protect them. I will love them. I will provide for them. And I will teach them. Right. That's my view. So going to pornography, sex, I feel like one of the worst things, one of the worst things that we do in our culture by culture, I do mean Utah. I mm-hmm. do mean I am a firm believer in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I will tell you, we do absolute tremendous damage on youth in regards to sex. Mm-hmm. We teach, and it's not a it's it's how it's being taught. Yeah. We teach abstinence. We teach it's wrong. We teach it's it's dirty. It's you know, until you're married, sure. until you're married, sure. until you're married, it's yeah. it's dirty. It's, these kids, their frontal lobes are just developing, and yeah. they're not hearing until marriage. Yeah, they're hearing dirty, gross, disgusting, dirty, gross, disgusting, dirty, gross, disgusting, and then this magical moment, this this clock 
time goes, and now it's beautiful, okay, and gorgeous. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Right. And then you've got 20 years or longer of very unhel- a very unhealthy relationship with sex. Yeah. Um, so my philosophy on it is at the age that they can understand, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. We're going to be open. There are going to be times we're going to laugh about it. Yeah. We're going to say funny things. Um, they're going to see affection. Yeah. You know, um, and they're going to know, like, it's beautiful and it's funny and it's silly. Yeah. And it's adventurous. Yeah. And we're going to have that conversation. Now, at what point are you going to consume it? Yeah. And at what point are you going to have control over it or is it going to have control over you? Right. If you're consuming pornography and you're doing these things and you're doing it on just a a level of I need and it is the only way that I can satisfy whatever it is, you're it's now you are now its slave. Right. You know, you are consuming. And so we're gonna have these, we're gonna have these conversations. And I would say one hundred percent if the child ever comes to you, oh and that's such a beautiful moment. Right. That is such a beautiful moment when they come and they've got the tears and the quiver in their lip and they're like, man, I screwed up. Yeah. And my response is, no, you did not. Yeah. No, you lived a life. Yeah. Like you experienced something. You didn't screw up. Like it's okay. Yeah. Whatever it is, we can, we can, let, let's get on the side of the sand. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's have this conversation and let's just, let's figure this thing out. You know, we're a team yeah. and I've, I've just run down, you know, you and I play on the same team in spike ball. You're going to carry a lot of the weight <laughs> right? because you've got the experience and I, I would hope so. I'd be like, church, help me out, brother. Yeah. You know what you're doing. I don't. Yeah. So the only way I can catch up to you is if you, can you carry me for a while? Right. And I'm telling my kids, yeah, I'll carry you. Yeah. And so if you're waiting for your kid to come and say they have a problem with pornography, before you talk about pornography, yeah, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen, yeah. man. Holy cow! And I think I think the main thing you've said that has resonated with me, and this this goes, you know, we're just talking about this, but this, you know, applies to to drugs or or any any pernicious or addictive thing, right? It's it's about communication, right? Hundred percent, and and trust, right? Right. But if you had these these conversations that you said are lighthearted and they're silly or whatever, but you don't have them until they're 17, then it's going to be awkward and it's going to be oh, weird. Yeah. And they're like, dad, whatever, I got it. Like, I don't, please stop, <laughs> you know? Right. But when it's always an open conversation, when nothing is taboo, then when you do want to have a kind of difficult conversation, it's not the most heinous thing in the world. No. Right. It's, and it, you know, sometimes you, no matter what, you have difficult conversations, right? But oh, I'll tell you, the serious conversations we mm-hmm. have about sex yeah. is going to be much milder, yeah, than everything else they ever encounter. Oh, totally. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my kids will go, "Dad, stop!" <laughs> right, right. Because I will push that because it's going to be done in a safe environment. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to hear. I mean, I, I, I've done construction. I've got a potty mouth at times, yeah. and. You're going to hear things and I'm going to, I see something that's most people would see gross and disgusting. And I think it's, 
funny as all get out. Right. And I will laugh and my kids will be like, Dad, come on. <laughs> you know, us. but but they know like it's it's part of life and this right. is cool. And so then when they come or when I approach them and say, Okay, I know we joke around about this, this, this and a lot, but let's talk. Right. That conversation is going to be much milder. Yeah. Than even some of the stuff they're experiencing. Oh, totally, totally. You know, and then they'll say stuff. I mean, they'll say stuff all the time. Right. And I think anybody else or any of my, man, if I, I say to my wife all the time, if I said that in front of my dad growing up, he would have killed me. <laughs> right. And I'm saying it as I'm chuckling because I think yeah. that's the funniest thing I've heard Colton say in a long time. Right. Because they just know it's safe. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And if they cross the line, there are times that a Christian, and not not about the set. He's actually probably the tamest. Yeah. But there are times that I have to look at Christian and say, tone it down, dude. Right, right. Back, yeah. We got to back that up just yeah. a little bit. Or yeah. Connor, we got to back that up a little bit. Sure. When I do that, they you should see their eyes. Yeah. The eyes go big. Right. Because, you know, another philosophy that I have is I've, I've seen people, I've got people in extended family and stuff that a kid, a kid knocks over a glass of water and they go to a tent. The kid steals the neighbor's car and runs it through a 7-Eleven while he's drunk. And they go to a 10. Yeah. Like, okay. That's just horrible. Because the, the crime is not equaling the consequence. The consequence yeah. is always a 10. And what ends up happening well, is... 10 means nothing now. 10 means nothing now. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's 100% it. Yeah. So it's like, okay... When they knock over the glass, are you the first one with the rag to get down on the floor and help them clean it up? And they're crying and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And you're like, dude, I've done this a thousand times. Yeah. Like, no big deal. Right. Or they do something that is stepping out of line. Yeah. My punishments, I hope, if I were to go down that road, but my corrections, I'm hoping, are actually maybe even a little bit less than their action. Yeah. There's trust, there's corrected behavior. But then in the moment, I mean, I've got family, extended family, that I will hear raise voice, yell at a kid, and the kid doesn't even slow down. Right, right. Like, oh, they're just yelling again. Yeah. That means nothing. That's right. deaf. Yeah. I can turn and go, Connor. And he'll stop in his tracks, and he'll turn, and the eyes are this big. Right. I'll go, dial it back. Right. And go, oh, man. Now, I went to a level two. Right, right. But they see level two so seldom. Yeah. And at any time they see a seven or an eight, they know it's probably not them. It's the guy at Spikeball <laughs> yeah. that's turning and walking right. towards him. And Dad right. just went to a seven. Yeah, yeah. Like, holy cow. Yeah. And Christians are running at me go, Dad, knock it off. Yeah. Knock it off. Don't do it. I'm like, well, he's turning around. We'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 There you go. That's great. Um, have you ever read the book, uh, The Last Lecture? Have you heard of I have it? not. So... Just something you touched on when you talked about, like, you know, breaking a glass and going to a tent or something that made me think. Um, the whole the whole thing, it's a memoir. It's about this guy who's a professor. And in their program, they have this tradition that when you retire, you go and give this last lecture. And all the faculty comes and the family and it's this whole ceremony. And he comes down with, like, terminal leukemia. And he has, like, a couple months to live or whatever. And so... The faculty's like, okay, obviously you don't have to. And he had just retired. And they're like, obviously you don't have to give this lecture or whatever. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it. And he made it, he made this lecture basically what he wanted 
to tell his kids, right, about the meaning of life and what's important and whatever. And he talked about how, um, and, and throughout the book, he kind of talks about some lessons that he taught his kids and some things that are important to him in parenting. And he said, he said, yeah, I remember one time I got my first like really nice car, leather seats, convertible, whatever. And he's like, the first thing I did, got the kids, we went for a ride. And before we started the car, I opened up a soda and turned around and just poured it on the seat. And like, he's like, my kids are freaking out. I was like, what are you doing, dad? And he's like, I just want you guys to know that things don't matter more than you, Hmm. you know, and that obviously we don't want to destroy property and ruin things on purpose. But if accidents happen, it doesn't matter. This car doesn't mean anything to me. He's like, I'm glad I have it. I enjoy it. I, I love it. It's awesome. But it doesn't mean anything to me. You guys mean something to me. Right. And I thought it was such a cool lesson, like, to do it so, <laughs> so like, I, I don't know, in just such a big way. Like, those kids would never forget that little lesson, you know? One of the, one of the greatest moments of my life, in fact, this is one that will get me a little emotional. Uh, Christian had just turned 16 few months after he turned 16 my first kid driving gets in a car accident rear ends it his fault mm-hmm. whole bit i get a phone call he's on his phone he calls me and he's like dad i got an accident da, 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 you know and i you know what happened you know have you called 911 is anybody you know the, just the typical questions yeah and i'm like where are you and he tells me where he is and i said okay i'm on my way so i go there we handle the situation whatever it is take care of it get home Time goes by, whatever. Um, and then I hear Christian having this conversation once. And he said, I got in this accident. I was terrified. I was crying. I, I wasn't hurt, but it was just, it was the scariest moment I had had up until then. It's the absolute most terrifying moment. You know, he's staring in the back of this truck in, you know, right in front of him. People have gotten out, adults, yeah. he's by himself, like, you know, 16 years old. He's, he doesn't know the protocols. Like, right. You can imagine that terror, right? right? And he says, you know, I'm just absolutely terrified. Oh, well, what happened? Well, I called my dad and da 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 da, da. Oh, what happened? Well, he said he was on his way. And then and Christian said, and as soon as I heard my dad say, I'm on my way, I knew I was okay. Yeah. And I went, that's it. That's it. Right. right there. That was my moment. Knowing you That doing. I got that. Yeah. That was my gratitude of knowing in my kid's heart, the greatest sound they could hear is their dad say, I'm on my way. Yeah. That's magic. Right. You know, I had a boss that I, it's funny as you were telling that story, I'm like, I wonder if this is where he got it. I was with a boss that got a brand new truck right off the lot. We stop at the 7-Eleven. He buys three drinks, me a drink, him a drink, an extra drink. I'm like, what's he doing? Same exact thing. Mm-hmm. We get in the truck, he pops the top off, and he dumps it out on the floor. <laughs> yeah. This guy's worth like a million bucks a right. year, right? Dumps it out. I'm like, Jeff, what are you doing? He goes, well, now I need you to go and get, take my truck and get it detailed. I'm like, we just drove it off the lot. Like, what <laughs> yeah. are you doing? And he said, every brand new truck I get, every brand new car I get, I spill the first drink. Because then whenever my kids do, it's no big deal. I already did it. Yeah. He's like, it's, it's my own mental game. Right. That I've already messed up, they can mess up. Right. You know, and I think there's a profound lesson in that, not just with the truck. It's everything your kid does, everything that, I, you know, I think about the spike ball community and I think about all these, 
younger kids and you know the 20 year olds and the guys at college that yeah. think they're the, the cool cats you know yeah. to the younger kids in but i look at them too and i'm like dude you're gonna screw up you're gonna screw up solomon brother i love you man you're gonna screw up yeah just know been there right i dumped that drink first yeah if you ever need somebody to talk to you can talk to me because right. i've spilled that drink yeah you know yeah it's a cool metaphor when you when you think about it because and, and and kids are smart like you don't have to tell them hey guess what this is applicable for everything right <laughs> you know right because it'll just it'll kind of it'll kind of seep into them right yeah yeah no absolutely you know i think uh you know i've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about human interaction human connection um what we're doing here. I think a lot about, you know, advice I would give married couples, the brand new married couples, advice I'd give people that are dating, that are trying to figure out what, it, what they're what they're doing. And to me, it boils down to, well, in, in an intimate relationship, uh, a spouse or a partner, whatever it is, I, I view it as there are three things. There are three integral things that are absolutely necessary. Um, in any relationship, in any encounter, there are two. Um, the, the third one is really reserved only for that person. So I'll, I'll tell you what I think on the three. So if I, you know, when I'm talking to my kids and they're talking about dating somebody and I say, you know, you've got three things you need. The first you need is attraction. Sure. Now, I say first because it's the first encounter. But of the three, it's going to be the bottom. It's going to be the third. Yeah. It's going to be the lowest. You ever see those 95-year-old couples that have been married for 65 years and the man turns to his wife and she's, he says she's the most beautiful woman in the entire world? Yeah. And all the rest of us go, oh, that's so cute, but he's but it's crap. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. But why is he so sincere? Yeah. Like, I, does he believe that? No. Yeah. Like, the 20-year-old girls, he's got to think she's <laughs> cute, right? So we'll, we'll go to that. So you've got the, the, the first is that attraction. Now it's going to become third. Now that we've got that aside, every other, every other relationship is going to be built on these next two. So the second one is going to be connection. You've got to have connection, you know. And it, it doesn't need to be every aspect of every... You and I, you and I have a great connection. Do we have every single thing in our life is the same interest? No. Right. Like we're yin and yang and probably a lot of things sure. but we have enough that we have a connection now when you're talking a spouse or you're talking a future partner increase that sure a lot yeah, yeah. find someone that you don't have two things in common find somebody you have 200 things in common yeah. because the 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 fewer the things that aren't in common the less conflict right. you're going to have right. right so so increase that the thoughts i i had a whole therapist that I was talking to once that I taught, you know, what about this opposites attract? And she says, that's crap. Yeah. Get that. That is some romantic notion that somebody's put out there. That is crap. Yeah. Successful relationships are much more often built when they're similar. Right. You have a lot more in common. So start, so you have that attraction, then you have connection. Stop right there <laughs> for a while. Stop right there, at least in a relationship. Build that connection, build that connection. Because the third one is the one that you can only give probably once. And once it's gone, you're not going to get it back easy. And that is trust. Yeah. You know, and so if you give the trust really quick to somebody, you're just Russian roulette in this thing. 
Right. You know, because you you don't know. You don't see the all the red flags. You don't see it. Are they going to hold this gift of trust and never, ever betray it? Because they may betray it. You may betray that trust. And miraculously, the person gives it back to you again and gives you another chance. Yeah. And gives you another chance. We don't know where that line is. We don't know where that last one comes. And then that last one comes. And then the person's like, give me one more. Yeah. yeah. Give me one more. And you go, I, I, it's empty. The bank's empty. Yeah. Well, just try. Well, the bank's empty. Like, there's nothing left. Yeah. Now... Outside of a spousal relationship, it's the same thing minus the attraction part. Right, right. You know, you and I, and that's what I think of like when we talk about the spike ball community and me being the cool dad there and and it's all deliberate. It's deliberate with my kids. It's calculated. It's It comes naturally sure, to me sure. because it's been, it, there's been enough practice there. Yeah. But I do, I look at, I look at, you know, Chandler Hertzler. I look at Caleb. I look at... Um, Solomon, I man, just Solomon just warms my heart, you know. But but so many people in this community, even Taylor Sanford, yeah. And I think I've got connection now with them. You know, we've got connection. We can laugh and we can talk. Yeah. I will do everything I can to not betray the trust. Right. That is sacred. That is beyond worldly value. And so I that that's one of my things with just interactions by themselves is have the connection do not betray the trust be honest with them and it's fine that there are times believe me they're fine that there are times to sever relationships that are not healthy that are toxic i think you can do it in a way where you can maintain some connection and you can even maintain some trust you just pull you're pulling back the curtain on some of the trust i'm not going to give you a b and c anymore but i will still give you d e f and g because those are safe right well and you know i have a lot of friends that like we are still really close but we don't see each other every day you know Mm -hmm. like like we used to and a lot of times it's just because our lives are going in very different directions and we don't and if we did spend every day together there'd be way more conflict right right because we disagree on more than we used to and right. we are our moral compass or compasses are pointing in different directions mm-hmm. right and there's that's fine um, but most of these relationships i haven't severed right you know and and some people need to right but i've i just i just avoid toxicity in general so i don't usually find myself feeling like i'm in a toxic thing where i need to get out but um a lot of these friends are people that i love to catch up with i love to get lunch with every once in a while or or call them every once in a while and we still maintain a beautiful close relationship but it doesn't it doesn't need to be how it used to be necessarily because you've established boundaries right and and i didn't even you know, a lot of these I didn't even, you know, draw them and draw a line in the sand. Right. It just happened organically because I think we both realized, hey, like, we're a lot more different than we used to be, you know. And and I think especially at, at my age, you know, when you're like, 
you know, when you're a teenager, you don't need as many commonalities because you're just, Mm -hmm. your goal is to just like, as a guy, just like play sports and get girls. Right. And like, whatever else you do, I don't care. Right. (laughs) Let's go hang. You know. Everything's a numbers game, right? I need a higher scoreboard on the the game. (laughs) I need more girls that I'm going out with. I need more friends in my circle. Like, it's a numbers game. And even more so when you're a really little kid, you don't give an F about anything. You're just like, oh, this kid can play. Right. (laughs) Let's play. Right. Right. But as an adult. Well, wait, you guys were fighting yesterday i don't care you can still play oh, you can play now like, yeah uh, right yeah but as an adult you start to be like just more picky and you're like i don't want to spend time with people that don't like really enrich my life but that doesn't mean those people suck right right it just means let me get let me scale back a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. you know but 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 i want to go to that because you talk about that um as something very natural mm-hmm but I think that is because you have a, a healthy self image. I think it's because you have a, um, a healthy idea of your personal boundaries and that it is okay for someone to stand outside of the swimming pool while you're swimming in the swimming pool and you guys can still have a relationship. They don't need to be in the swimming pool. Yeah. I think, and that's something that if there are people that are listening to this, that I would, I would hope that they, if they struggle with this, I've struggled with this. Mm-hmm. Of everyone does not need to be inside that f- closest circle. Yeah, you don't have to share everything. You don't have to give everything to everyone. It was it was a tremendously difficult re- lesson for me to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, growing up in the church, and you know, I've been young men's president twice in the church. I've been elders' quorum president. Um, I was a branch president on my mission. It was just yes to everything. And I had a bishop when I was a young men's president that called me into his office and he said, I'm going to give you an assignment. Will you accept it? And I said, yes, I will. Yeah. Absolutely, I'll accept it. What's the assignment? Learn to say no. Mm-hmm. I said, wait, what? He said, you need boundaries. Yeah. You say yes to everything from everyone and it's burning you out. I yeah. can see it. And, and it is, I mean, I'm the guy that thinks I can do everything. Right. I can help everyone all the time. If you can't do it, I can do it. Yeah. Sit on my shoulders, get on my back, I'll carry you. I can take on this world. And I can. Man, I believe that. I believe I can take on this world. But I found I was tired. Yeah. I was worn out. I was being taken advantage of. And it took me a long time. In fact, it was funny because it was literally that same day that I'm in this big meeting. And he hasn't told anybody else this. And one of his counselors turns to me and says, President Anderson, would you have the young man do blah, 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 whatever it is? And I I was about to... say something and I happen to glance up the bishop and he looked at me with these big eyes looking at me like you got it right here yeah I looked in and said no we're not going to do that the whole room kind of fell silent I said no it's just it's not appropriate for yeah and it was hard right you know and and you have a skill you have and I think it comes probably to you naturally and there's there's a lot of self-health right there and I'm impressed by that but if you're listening to this boundaries are good yeah be deliberate with your boundaries. You know, draw circles on a piece of paper if you need to. And, you know, say, okay, the most intimate circle. I had my therapist do this to me once. Draw a circle. It's the most intimate circle. Who's in that? Write yourself. And I wrote myself. Who else is in that? I said, well, I think, no, you're wrong. I said, well, I didn't even give you a name. That's because there is no other name. That closest intimate circle is just you. Yeah. Nobody else gets to be that close. Right. It is your life. It's what we were talking about earlier. 
You have one life. It is yours. It's no one else. That circle is you. Yeah. Now draw the next circle. And in that circle, you might have your kids. Yeah. You might have a spouse. You might not have a spouse in that circle. Right. There might be one you know, just outside. You're right. Right. You know, it might be your parents. It might be one parent and the other parents two circles out. Yeah. That's okay. Because to, in order to maintain that inner circle, that closest one with just your name in it, mm -hmm. the other circles need to be balanced right. Right. Because if you let one too far in, they're coming all the way into that inner yeah. circle. But it's hard to, it's really hard to draw boundaries like late. Yeah. You know, it's much easier to draw them earlier. And asking somebody to get outside the circle, oh, it's a lot harder to do that than to let them in. Well, and even with little boundaries, I mean, like when things, if you have a friend or like a sibling or a significant other that's doing something that bothers you, and you feel like it's inappropriate or you feel like it's unacceptable based on your relationship, if you don't say anything for years and then all of a sudden you want to draw a line in the sand, it, that's really difficult. Mm -hmm. But if if you've been hanging out with somebody for a couple of weeks and they do something, you're like, hey, dude, just, I like, I don't know, I'm weird, but I can't handle when you do that. Like, right. it bugs, you got to stop. Like, that's a much easier conversation than three years in you're just, you've been resenting this person for three right? years over something stupid and trivial. But, you know, Jordan Peterson says something all the time that I love. He says, if something happens every day, it's not trivial. Right. Like you think like, oh, it's so trivial because it's just this little tiny thing or whatever. But he's like, he's like, no, your life is made up of like the time you spend at the, at the table eating breakfast with your spouse in the morning. It's that five minutes of how you're greeted when you get home. And he's like, all these things seem incredibly trivial, but you add them up and that's your freaking life. Right. You know? And so I think you can't, you can't allow things to stew in you w with people in those circles, mm -hmm. right? Because if a stranger's bugging you, so what? You're never going to see him again, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, stand up for yourself, sure. But if, if somebody, you know, in a restaurant is being rude, maybe you say something, whatever, you walk away, it's over. Right. You know, but if you're dealing with something every single day, you got to make things clear. Right. You know? Well, and, and what would be your motivation not to say something? Typically, it's a fear of loss. Sure. You know, if, 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 I, if I rock this boat too much, somebody's falling out. Yeah. And I don't want to be outside. I don't want to be in any other boat than the boat with you. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going to rock the boat. So I'm not going to say this. But then what you're doing is you're presenting a false version of yourself. You're not letting that person accept and love the true you and then what ends up happening is four or five years down the road not only are you going to build up a resentment for the action they're doing but you're also going to build up resentment because they don't know who you are you have someone that is intimately in your life that has not doesn't love you loves the version you've presented right. but you feel this craving need why doesn't this person love me yeah well it's because you weren't the authentic version. You know, wouldn't you rather lose that person at the very beginning, like you said, two, three weeks into yeah. it, before you have all of this built, you know, all this connection, all these right. ties yeah. that have come together, and now you're trying to sever this yeah. because you you finally realize, like, this can, we don't have all these connections, we don't have this trust, we don't have, you do A, B, and C. Yeah, I think it's hard, man. It's hard, but yeah. you got to start. You got to start from the beginning and and realize, 
as hard as it is, man, if if they're not the one, they're not the yep. one. That's that's and, okay. And I've I've been a little hurt at times where I think there's always people that you're kind of like, man, I'd love to be in a, in a inner circle with them, right. you know, but you just like you spend some more time and you're like, you know what, it's just not gonna happen. And it's not really because of me, but it's because their circle's kind of full, probably. Right. You know, like, I like this happens to me every once in a while. You know, we always call them like these man crushes, right? But you meet a guy, whether it's you know in sports or he's a he's a coworker or something, and you're like, man, I just this is an awesome guy. I, I wish we were closer friends, but we're just not. Right. You know, and think of the burden I carry, man. Everybody wants. To I know. Be it's, <laughs> I can't right? imagine what you're going through. And I'm just like, guys. <laughs> I get it. I know. I know. There's only room but there's, for... I, I cap out right. at 426. Right. And there's just not room just, for... Yeah. It's no, I, I get you. And, yeah. you know, I read this I read this report, this study that was done that... And I think it ties to this. There's some correlations here. And it was, it was discussing getting over a heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You know, getting over a rejection. And it, it, it was the analysis of... Some people get over heartbreak very quickly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it can be, uh, they can be with the person for an extraordinary amount of time or very intimate, close relationship, and it ends in three or four weeks. And I'm not, t- I'm not talking like going out there with somebody else. That doesn't mean they've moved on. Right. They, you know, they're just, they're in a coping mechanism. Yeah. But they said, you know, there are some people that really can move on very quickly. Then there are other people that it takes them years. You know, yeah. they'll go through a divorce and 10 years later, they're still hanging on to this. So they did this study trying to figure out what, you know, what differentiates these two groups. You know, part of the hypothesis was, well, introverts probably take longer to get over somebody than an extrovert. An extrovert, could, but then they looked at it and they said, no, we've got extroverts and introverts in both. You know, is it, is it race? Is it culture? Is it, and they couldn't find the commonality. And finally, what they found out was they realized the people that were having a very hard time, that were, that were 10, 15 years, just a very long time, to, and you know, there's no timeline, maybe it's six months or a year, but were having a very hard time moving on, were the people that were internalizing it and saying, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? They, this person rejected me, yeah. who I am, and they they internalized it, and that can chew you up forever. Right? You know, I've been there. Sure. That 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 fits my boat. Yeah, man, I'm in that. I'm 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 captain. Yeah, I'm pulling. You know, church. If you tell me you don't like me anymore, man, <laughs> I'm just telling you, it'll take yeah. me years. Right. The group that moved on very quickly were the people that were able to look at the relationship. And find out what good, even though the relationship came to an end, Mm -hmm. what good came out of that relationship into their lives that then they could move to the next group, they could learn, and they could alter. And so they would look at it and they would say, okay, well, I got in really great shape while I was with this person. I learned very healthy habits. I learned for the first time I'd had all these other relationships where I was constantly lying and faking it to them. And this was the one person that I opened up to. And I was able to trust them. Well, but then they betrayed me and I want to, you know, that's this group. Yeah. And this person saying, no, I learned I can. Yeah. I've learned I can do that. Mm-hmm. And so the group that was able to move on were the people that didn't internalize that rejection. Instead, so going to your point, even the, the man crush with the guy at the work, yeah. you're like, okay, well, he doesn't want me inside of his circle. That's not a rejection of me. 
but looking in, what is in there that I can glean, that I can learn from? What this guy, what is this guy that is so cool? What does he have that yeah. magnetizes and draws me? Because there may be another guy out there that I can connect with. I've had that where I had a couple guys on my mission that I was like, man, I would do anything to be your friend. Yeah. I would do anything to be your friend. You are the coolest guy I've ever met. Yeah. I wasn't. Right. Like they, they pushed me away. They were, and I've had this many years <laughs> yeah. trying to get over this. Yeah. But then I met a guy mm-hmm. at a workplace that fit it, that was just like them, and we just gelled. And I was yeah. like, now I'm in this circle. Yeah. Right? And you just t- you take these, these things that you learn from this relationship from these people. And instead of internalizing it as rejection, because, man, we're all just going to be rejected. Yeah. You know? I mean, you, you see celebrities that are the most attractive people in the world that have everything together, and they're just falling apart left and right, right. in relationships. Yeah. People get rejected every single day. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. It's hard. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. But the healthy ones, they just say, are the ones that can look back and say, and I've, I've had that relationship. I've had the, the, the person that I thought, this is the one. Like... Yeah. I, I'm madly in love with you. And the rejection comes and you're absolutely devastated. Yeah. And you wallow in that. But, you know, then you take that time and I look back and I'm like, okay, what are the things? What are the things that if I faced this person today, even knowing the rejection, I could look them in the eyes, not with bitterness, not with anger, and I could say thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this, I learned this. And I learned that I trusted way too quickly. Right, right. And I won't go down that yeah. road again. And a lot of times these are the people that propel you towards the correct person. Right. Right. And you just needed you just needed to go through that. Well, yeah, because maybe you didn't even know inside of you. Maybe you learned from that person that, man, I love A, B, and C. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. that that is what would draw me. Now this person would say, but they had A, B, and C. And yeah. you're like, okay, well, great. Now you know. Now you know. You, know, you, you want, need A, B, and C. You need A, B, and C. Go yeah. find that person that is A, B, and C. Yeah. Because guess what? This person is not the only human being on the face of the earth with A, B, and C. Right. Totally. You know. No. Well, Jeff, you're a wonderful man. I really am. You this really has been are. a good honor. This has been a great honor for you. It really very lucky. I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe my luck. You you got in the circle, bro. <laughs> I, I hope. Right? I hope. Yeah. I don't. I know. knew that whole like this know. guy at work with a man crush. I'm like, I can see where you're okay, going with yeah. this. Me and, Jeff, right. me and Jeff don't work together for the record. <laughs> um, to wrap things up, I wanted to I wanted to turn the tables, and I know you wanted you want you want to eventually start a podcast. You want to do similar things, so I want to give you the opportunity to ask me one question as you know kind of flip things around like you're the host um just off of i don't know whatever whatever you know about me something you want to glean or understand better um what do you got for me jeff how deep can i go you can go as deep as you want oh man yeah yeah here it is (laughs) all right I'll give you a little um, analysis of what I what I see with my friend Church here. Um, Good-looking guy, successful at what he does, loves to be on top, loves to to achieve. Uh, doesn't one thing I tremendously respect about you is good enough is not good enough. <laughs> right. You know, it is it is excellence. Um, sometimes a downside to that is if you don't receive excellence, uh, you. 
I could see it's like, why do I do this? Right. If I can't be if I can't be the number one guy on YouTube and I can only be number three, what's the point? Right. You know, right. which is great to have that drive, but it can it can struggle. Um, so my question to you is, and I'm going to put you on the spot in front of everybody here. Um, what's your fear? What's my fear? Um, just about what you're talking about or just in general? Like what, what do you not want us to see? What do you not want people? What is a truth about you mm-hmm. that you guard? Because this is the problem. This is this is the thing. I mean, you look at like the Logan Pauls, the Jake Pauls, the, the uh, Joe Rogans of the world. The one really scary thing about being tremendously successful in social media mm-hmm. aspect is you have to be fully authentic. Right. So my question, um, because I have my thoughts. Sure. I've, I've, I watch a lot more than people think I watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People think I'm the jovial, fun guy. And I am, yeah. but, but I, it's because I love people. Sure. And I will see people. And one, one skill I have is to see pain. Yeah. Or to see fear. Right. And say, it's a, I'm, I'm safe. Yeah. And so I would just ask, What's your pain? What's your fear? <laughs> um, that's difficult because, you know, these things are, like like you said, it's a deep question, but it's very, um, you know, it's, it's not just one thing because I, I really I really thought about it, but it's not just, you know, one thing just came to my mind like, oh, well, right. let, me, let me tell Jeff my thing. But I definitely, you were talking about this earlier with, with Christian when, when COVID hit and, and, you know, the soccer thing was over for me, I struggle with at times with my identity being wrapped up in my accomplishments or, or what I'm doing. Um, where, and at the end of the day, like, I know, I know good and well, it's not, you know, but in the heat of the moment, it's hard for me to, to separate things and be like, Okay, so so let's say I had a terrible tournament or a terrible season or whatever. Like, that doesn't have anything to do with my self-worth, but it sure doesn't feel like that, right? Right. It feels like... And part of it is, I'll be honest, it's wrapped up in insecurity of... I, I a lot of times feel like a man on an island where somebody my age that's single especially in our community, there's, there's, there's not a lot of us, right? And so in, in certain ways, even though I know it's not true, I've, I feel like a failure in a lot of ways. And so when I fail in other ways, I feel like, well, now I'm a colossal failure, right? right? Because I already feel a little bit like a failure that I haven't got married at this age or that I don't have kids at this age or I don't have X amount of money at this age. Um, I feel a lot of personal failures. And so when I fail outside of that realm, whether it's in sports or um, a rejection from a girl or, or anything, it hits really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to... Um, it's hard to not have those things just compound 
on each other. Um, it's weird. I, I told a friend of mine, you know, sometimes like when I've lost a spike ball tournament or something, I almost immediately go to like, oh, and my dating life sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, these things are not connected. <laughs> they are not connected, especially like, dude, you think your girl gives a rip about my spike ball career, right? She might be attracted to like me being good at something, but she certainly doesn't care that it's spike ball, right? But um, but yeah, I, I tend to like have my failures group together and it feels like one massive thing. And so a little... a well, little. Can I ask you a question yeah, really quick? Yeah. So when you go out with a girl mm-hmm. and you like a girl yeah. and you get rejected, yeah. do you, as you're driving away from that, mm-hmm. do you ever sit there and think, man, I suck at spike ball? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. Yeah. So can I, let me ask you this question. But, but real quick, you can come back to that. But I will think like, oh, I, I, I wish I was like in a little bit better shape or or you know, yeah. you know, little things that maybe I feel like are connected to the rejection, right? Because I don't feel like a girl gives a rip about spike ball. Right. But you said the spike ball loss can mm-hmm. trigger the the girl thing. Yeah. yeah. But the girl thing doesn't trigger the spike ball thing. Right. So would it be fair to say that some of some of the things that you feel like are within your control, spike ball would be a realm that's within your control. Yeah. Um that, that's those the, that's successes, the those successes, temporarily satisfy the failures and the things that you feel are outside of your control. Um, pr- probably to an extent, I feel like um, I feel like sometimes I feel like there's a lot of things in my life that I feel like I'm catching L's, right? But I feel like. If I can catch some dubs somewhere, mm-hmm. I'll be fine. Right. You know? Right. And, um, and, I, and I spread myself pretty thin. You know, I play in like three basketball leagues. Um, and, and it's weird because basketball, basketball has been different because, but, but I'll tell you what, when I was like in high school, I, I, took, I took losses and poor performances really hard too um, and equated it to, to other things as well. Um, Whereas now, like, I love basketball as much as I ever did, but my my identity isn't as wrapped up in it, right? With spike ball, like, so many people, that's the only way they know me. Right. So when I, when I underperform or something, I can't help but think, like... The one thing. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm supposed to be good at and I suck? Right. Like, what does that say about me? But... The thing is, like, I'm deeply aware that that's unhealthy thinking, right? But it's just kind of a default where I go when I... No, I get it. And, you know, you said something that that was brave. It was brave. And I think it was raw, and I think it was real, and I think it's sad. was when you said, you know, I'm catching L's in all these other areas. And it hurts me for how much I love you. To think that a whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you have a certain financial status, is a defining factor of WRL. Right. Because I love you, man. 
Like it's not. It's, it's, Taylor. It's not marriage. Right. Right. It's Taylor. It's not financial. And the thing I would wish for you would be to have and find arrogantly more people like me into your life. More people that that doesn't matter. Right. Those things don't matter. Those things are societal and cultural yeah. that have been placed on you that for some reason your value to mankind is tied to a spouse or tied to a child. And it's just not the case. You give so much to so many people. And I think you've allowed those handcuffs. You've put some of those handcuffs on yourself that we were talking about earlier. And to take them off and to see that you've got kids, man. You've got my kids. (laughs) You know, and you've got kids. And I know people say that probably to you a lot. And I think probably some of them say it to appease you. Sure. And I'm not. (laughs) Right, right. I'm telling you that your value, your worth is far greater than any W or L as a consequence of whatever choices, you know. I love you regardless. Right. That's what I tried to say the one time up in Idaho when we were at that tournament, yeah, standing yeah. on the side talking. Yeah. I don't care what you do out here. I don't right. care what you do on this field. Yeah, None of this matters to me. I don't care spouses or kids. I care about you right. because you alone have enough value. You don't need that other stuff to your value if you get married tomorrow and you have four kids within the next six years your value didn't increase right right didn't yeah and that that's the one thing that i would i would love for you to hold in that you would trust me with that yeah and this was this was good that's that's scary crap right (laughs) yeah that's not that's not fun to Share with the people that you, uh, because I'm there, right? Like I'm there. I'm, I'm arrogant enough to know that people look up to me. Right. And when you're looked up to, you can't be weak. Yeah. You can't be soft. You can't fail. And that's, that's a burden of those of us that win right. in a lot of ways. Right? right. Right. And we don't want to ever let anyone down. Yeah. That's a horrible burden that we carry. Yeah. You know? And so surround yourself with a couple people that you won't ever let down. Right. And and honestly, like I I do I do have like some really amazing close friends and, and my and family, of course, that like like I honestly I don't walk around feeling judged, right? I really don't. But it's just it's just self imposed stuff. It's you put you you allowed the handcuffs to go on. And I'm not saying that yeah. you I'm not saying that you came up with that out of the thin air. I mean, our culture sure. is taught that. Sure. You were taught that at a young age. Some family, some friends may have come in. They handed you handcuffs. They put them on. Right. You, it's all up to you, brother, sure. to take them off. Right. None of us can take them off. Yeah. You take them off and you, you find a couple of safe places, a couple of people you can connect with and trust and say, okay, am I enough? Yeah. Am I enough? Right. If I don't win another spike ball tournament, am I enough? Right. If I don't ever get married, am I enough? Right. 
some people will be honest and say no. Right. And that's okay. That's how they value. Right. Their, their value doesn't affect you. Yeah. But for those of us, I'll tell you a funny story about me with basketball. If I told yeah. you, I don't know if I've told you this. Because I, I mean, I was a small, small kid for a long time. I mean, I went through a big growth spurt, probably like my, my ninth or tenth grade, yeah. you know. But growing up, I wanted to be John Stockton. So I would spend all this time out in the backyard dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. And I'm right-handed. And I realized if you're right-handed and you bring the ball up the court, everybody plays off your right hand. So I've learned to drive left. I drive stronger left, lay up better left than I do my right hand. I can blow by people. Well, then I went through this growth spurt. Now I'm a big kid. And I can shoot outside. I've got a good outside shot. My dream, like every other kid's, was to play in the NBA, right? Yeah. This is, the, this is an honest story. This really happened. This moment happened. I'm probably 34 at the mm -hmm. time, and I wake up one morning, and I'm, I'm blue. Yeah. It was a rough day, and the day went on, and I was sad, and it was just hard to even get out of bed, hard to go about my day, hard to go to work. And my wife knew something was going on. Like, I mean, it was, it was night and day from yesterday to today. And finally, in the evening time, she just looked at me and said, what's going on, man? What is going, what happened? And with all sincerity, all honesty, I looked at her and I said, I woke up this morning and realized I will never play in the NBA. <laughs> I just now realized my it was this. Over. It was It was a specific morning. Yeah, yeah. It was not like a graduate. It was like <laughs> the day before the dream was alive. <laughs> like I'm going to be the Kurt Warner of the NBA. They're going to bring yeah. me in at 34. And then bam. You hadn't processed it yet. It's, it's over. <laughs> yeah. Today it is over. It's never going to happen. Yeah. So I, I get it, man. I get it. And 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 the truth is like I'm I'm grateful that you know I I I don't you know I don't struggle with any any clinical depression or, or things that get me down for long periods of time. Um, cuz what I mentioned it's like I'm I'm usually in pretty good spirits. I'm usually pretty happy and yeah. optimistic. Um, but you know sometimes I go to the dark place and to just be candid, like those are the things that take me to the dark right. place, right. you know. But um, for myself, there's also a lot of things that get me out of that dark place really easily. Good, and I've and I've been able to find those over the years, and realize that there's a lot of different things that can take me out. Right, right. Um, because sometimes you think just only one thing can get you out of a rut, you right. know. But there's so many things. Um, well, and hopefully some of them are, hopefully they are, or you can develop them where they are not tied to successes and failures. Yeah. You know, like if you're saying, man, if I go to a tournament and I play spike ball and I win, I'm out of that rut. Well, yeah, but you're tying it to a, a, yeah. a victory. Yeah. You know, can you tie those things? Because those things are, imp are internal. Do you have those internal victories to right. those internal self-worth? And I mean, you're... You're a good cat. <laughs> you are. I've, I've, I've always appreciated you. Appreciated our relationship and thought the world of you. Still do. Thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, one one of the main reasons I uh, I was drawn to you in the first place um, is because I love your kids. You have amazing kids, and usually, usually when there's multiple siblings that are awesome, like. They have awesome parents. Like yeah. it's just, it's usually it's not them. It's us. It's, it's me. It's all you. Yeah. I, get <laughs> but it. it's, it's, I get it. It's usually a pretty, uh, a pretty accurate correlation. 
Um, and so, you know, shout out to your boys. Yeah. Um, they're awesome. And uh, I just don't know your daughters, but I'm sure they're awesome too. They'll, they'll come along. They'll come along. But um, hey, I appreciate you coming out. Absolutely. I appreciate you making me cry. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. Luckily, uh, the, the film went out. I guess my storage was full. So this stopped filming before I started crying. So the, No proof. So honestly, I don't even know that I did. It's your word against mine. I don't even know That's that a, I did. No. Like I just. I don't know why it, you reached up and moved that little wetness off your cheek. That but, was I get I get out. But it was raw. It was raw, and I appreciate you being open. And I think a lot of people that would listen to this would uh, would have some uh, feelings of commonality there. Yeah. And and appreciate that there there's a guy they look up to that has fears. Yeah. That's powerful. But for the record, I did not cry. He did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> oh, Jeff, you're a good man. Thanks, um, brother. Okay, as always, um, if you like the episode, feel free to share it with a friend. Um, might put the first portion on YouTube if it's not too jumbled. I don't know when it stopped recording. But um, I appreciate all you for listening. And if you have an extra moment... Uh, go review the podcast on your Apple Podcast app or Spotify. It helps a lot. Thank and uh, I'm going to put a plug in. Yeah, I'm going to be dropping a podcast here soon that will be um, We Have One Life to Live mm-hmm. and uh, Unleashing Your Warrior. So uh, awesome. I may you know, hit you up on that and let some of these people link Please over do. to that too. Yeah, that would well. be awesome. Um, do you have an Instagram or something where you will announce that? I'll announce it first just on mine. Yeah. Just on mine. Then you'll which, start your own. And then, yeah, it'll branch out one. and then I'll have a separate one. Okay. I've got one, but it doesn't have any content okay. on it yet. It'll be, it'll be okay. coming. But it'll be coming in the next uh, very short while. So keep awesome. your eye open for that. Okay. Sounds good. Check All out right, our brother. man. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you.